0: everyone you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. From Marcus Lopez I'm your host Larry Smith.
1: We are the place where we live. We live on this land and we become one with it. Uh, you can't separate us and everything that this land consists of is what we consist of. Everything that this land provides for us is what makes us who we are and we do the same in return. Manzanar is is like a great depiction of the irony in our history.
2: Japanese Americans are immigrants. They they wear colonizers as well coming to this country and you know to come to these places, I mean I, I will say that I feel like many people did appreciate the beauty of this place, of places like Manzanar but at the same time i think that there was also this sense of like oh we're being taken somewhere this place where no one else wants to be but that's totally not the case at all i mean this is a land where who had made homes and it was rich for many many centuries
0: today on american indian airwaves manzanar diverted when water becomes dust a powerful brand new documentary that shows the intergenerational relationship between the original peoples of what we know today as Owens Valley, California, the Nuamu or Paiute Nations peoples and their relationship to Japanese Americans and their descendants who were incarcerated at Manzanar during World War II and their relationship as well as the citizens of the city of Los Angeles relationship to the source of life. Water will have an in-depth conversation with a longtime Paiute citizen activist over the struggle to preserve water and the land of the Paiute Nations peoples in Owens Valley, California, as well as the film's director and producer here on American Indian Airwaves.
3: You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone food. He blows to the Bahu drum. It's the warriors who are marching mm-hmm, down the mountain mm-hmm, because history. history ain't no mystery to me.
0: Today on American Indian airwaves, Mansonar diverted when water becomes dust, a powerful new documentary. That chronicles more than 150 years of history, and the film shows how Payahunado, or Owens Valley, California, is directly tied to the city of Los Angeles. The film shows how the forced removals of two indigenous nations— the Nuamu or Paiute, and the Nue, Shoshone Nation peoples, were forcefully marched out of the Owens Valley in the 1860s and how Japanese Americans were incarcerated at Manzanar, a World War II concentration camp located in the heart of the Paiute Nation people, and the film weaves throughout the entire story one of the main characters. Water, the source of life, and its intergenerational relationship between the Nu'amu or Paiute Nation peoples, Japanese-Americans, and the citizens of the city of Los Angeles. Today on American Indian Airwaves, I have the honor and pleasure to speak with Kathy Bancroft from the Nu'amu or Paiute Nation peoples. She's a longtime indigenous activist and was central to the film, Manzanar Diverted When Water Becomes Dust, and our second guest is the director and producer of the brand new documentary film, Anne Canato. I start part one of this two-part interview with Kathy Bancroft asking her about the living history of the land, the peoples, and how it relates to this brand new film, Manzanar Diverted When Water Becomes Dust
1: it's just such an important question. I'm like, how long of an answer does he want? Because that's exactly it. We are, we are the place where we live. We live mm-hmm. on this land, and we become um, one with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't separate us. And everything that this land consists of is what we consist of. Everything that this land provides for us is what makes us who we are, and we do the same in return. I think that's a, that's a really hard concept for some people to, to grasp, especially, um, you know, modern day, I work protecting cultural resources, mm-hmm. and they just wonder, what the heck am I worried about this plant? Or this, why do I want to know about the fossils what, that they find that they dig up around here? Why do, um, you know, why do I care if they divert water from here over to there? Because that all affects us. And my family's lived here since the beginning of time, and this is how we've gotten through. This is how we survived is by knowing this land and knowing how we can help it, and it helps us in return. So, um, no, that's a that's the basic question, and that's the point I try to get across to people in everything I do, uh, especially my work out in these huge construction projects. It's really scary, and they got to realize that, you know, if they're going to do something it's going to affect me and my family Mm. and all of the people in this valley so that's an important message to get across
0: when i think of indigenous peoples and our relationship to the land that you know so many of us live away from home but also this idea that non-indigenous peoples uh, for whatever reasons, migrated, immigrated, their ancestors, quote unquote, migrated or immigrated, you know, onto indigenous people's lands. I can't help but think about, you know, the US government creating Manzanar, a World War II concentration camp, and how Japanese Americans were forcefully, you know, relocated there, and how they were forced to adjust and make that home. And Anne, I wanted to to turn to you and ask you to talk about Manzanar. And who was Sue Kunatami Embre?
2: So, you know, having grown up in Los Angeles, I think that Manzanar has always been important to the Japanese American community because it is um the closest concentration camp to the West Coast and so I think symbolically during the Asian American movement also it became really important because it was this this was a place of pilgrimage where community could go and um remember this past of you know that this this past that I think the Japanese American community had experienced together you know my family was not incarcerated at Manzanar but um they certainly could identify with that history since they were also incarcerated they they were in Arkansas but um i think for me i i, I was just really curious about the land these lands where you know, my community had been forced to, and to really think about what that, how that land, what that land meant to different communities, right? And mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, in, in sort of approaching Manzanar, I really, you know, and then as I was doing research, I had forgotten mm-hmm. that, well, of course, it's Native American land. I think that the two things that really interested me since I was Intent on finding a different way to look at this history, and to sort of find connection to this place, was to to sort of think about you know whose land this was before, and so of course to to look at Native American connections, but also just to this land itself, and so you know I had kind of forgotten that well I mean you know I grew up in L.A. and of course we always have this abstract concept that Water comes from the Sierras and it comes from the north. And, you know, having been to Manzanar growing up, I, you know, you read these little placards and you you, you sort of have this idea, but I, I just, I had kind of forgotten in a, in a real, in a real way that, that this was where we got our water from in Los Angeles. And so... I think that's kind of what propelled me on this path of making this film and sort of really thinking about this land. And, you know, thanks to to Kathy and folks like Kathy, I mean, I I just was was learning so much about this place and our connection and also to just have a greater appreciation of all of our lands, right? Indigenous histories, indigenous place. And so um, it's just been... An amazing journey in that way,
0: Kathy. Uh, for for you, I was wondering if you could share with us uh, the living history of the people and the land and this place that became known as Manzanar, a World War II Japanese American concentration camp. Yeah,
1: that's a um, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> thought. I'm sitting here going, okay, where do I start? Yeah, the, well, the history between you know, we lived here in this valley, provided everything we needed, right. we, you know, got along. It was all all fine until then we got outsiders came in. And that's when contentions started to the point where the native people of this valley were shot on sight. And nobody cared and we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere. And then we're rounded up and moved and marched, you know, down by Fort Tejon, taken away from the land but we made it back because you can't take us away. That's how much this land means to us. And so we were here, even though we had to hide out, even though they tried to move, even though we were subjected to, you know.
0: Right, slave,
1: you know, slave labor. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, You know, just to survive, we had to change our whole way of life, but then adapted, but we weren't going to leave this land. And so then we ended up on reservation up through the valley, we've got four, actually four reservations in this valley, right. and um, so we're placed on these places, on these small little parcels of land. A bunch of us to survive, and that's what they, you know, we've come down to. And then, not too many years after that, just a, a few years after that, here comes this group of people who are coming, and they're being placed on another little parcel of land um here in our valley and it was really people were just like amazed and and look back on it today especially and go oh my god you know you don't realize how does that feel you know to um, come from someplace completely different and being placed on a little piece of land mm-hmm. um it it was the irony is that they tried and tried to get us out of this valley and now they're bringing in a whole bunch of other people to live in this valley so it's a little uh little confusing but um but yeah it's it's amazing how people can have control over another people and um try to move them from here to there. You know, it's it's a real similar story and Manzanar is, is like a great depiction of the irony in our history.
2: And? I was just gonna say though, you know, I feel like in sort of the Japanese American narrative about a lot of these concentration camps and, you know, certainly Manzanar as well, that they were in these, I, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like, oh, these sort kind of really remote kind of God-forsaken places. And yet it's like, oh my gosh, I really want to change that narrative because these are the homelands of, of people who have been living there for thousands Since of years. years, right? And so I think you know, in the eyes of the, you know, Japanese Americans are immigrants. They're Im- they, they they were colonizers as well coming to this country. um, And to come, you know, to come to these places, I mean, I, I will say that I feel like many people did appreciate the beauty of this place, you know, of, of places like Manzanar. But at the same time, I think that there was also this sense of like, oh, we're being taken somewhere, this place where no one else wants to be but that's totally not the case at all i mean this is a land where people had been who had made homes and it was rich for many many centuries so you know it's it's just these these narratives that i feel like we need to sort of rethink and 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 <clears throat> reframe
0: yeah I, uh, and very much in western systems of thinking right history gets compartmentalized. And, um, and that's why I was uh, sharing earlier, you know, I really appreciated the film in showing the interrelationality of the lived experiences in relationship to land. Uh, there's a, uh, an intergenerational genealogy to, uh, you know, beginning with and continuing uh, throughout the generations with the, the Paiute people, you know, throughout, uh, in English, the Owen Valley region. We in Western systems of thinking, right we tend to package things into neat little confined modules that doesn't connect to other other stories. And so I really appreciated the film that way in how the film's told in that way. And I know we can talk about, you know the history of the land as you were saying, Kathy, you know, where to start because there's so much, you know, information um, in the history of the land from, you know, the invasion of the cattle and farming industry to uh, the march uh, to to Fort Tohon, as you were mentioning, to what took place between the federal government and the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and also the role of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And I think a lot of people don't understand that history. So maybe you can speak to how the U.S. federal government plays a significant role only in in Paiute history, but also into the creation of Manzanar, the role of the federal government and uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs' complicity. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with longtime indigenous activists from the Paiute nation, Kathy Bancroft, as well as Anne Kanako, who is the producer and director of the brand new film, Manzanar Diverted, When Water Becomes Dust, here on American Indian Airwaves. And now back to the interview.
1: Our history, at least in recent times, is greatly controlled by the federal government. Being a federally recognized tribe, just that fact that we had to be recognized by the government that we do exist as a tribe is, is a little strange. But they do control everything. They control where we live, how we can take care of our little piece of land, um, you know, this is something that everybody in the United States could say. Well, there's public land, there's private land, and it's all kind of hand in by the government. But we are more, even more so, because we're um, living on federal land. Everything we do has to go through the through the federal government, and what's really scary is when it has to go through the BIA, because they have been so ineffective. I've had so many experiences over the years of just how they have either done stuff to sabotage or just make things harder or just the apathy there or the issues that we're facing. And that's what, so we, we have become, or I don't want to say become, because we always have been independent, but we've learned how to circumvent these limitations that the government and other people try to place on us. And so... Um, I think that's a big part of sovereignty. It's a big part of our independence and, and our survival. And that's what I see as, you know, we always talk about the resilience and the survival of our people. And that's that's a part of it. You know, they've thrown us. We were originally under the Department of War, which became the Bureau of Indian Affairs. and um, But the mentality has not changed a whole lot. So how do we survive in this world? And And you look at, um, the Japanese people came here and lived on their own and, survived, you know, made it in, in the American society and were very successful. And then the government came in and under the pretense of protection, which is the same thing that they're doing with the tribes, protecting them, they they did this to them. So it's a little scary and that's what, um, I don't know, that's, that's kind of what has shaped my beliefs Is you've got to speak out. You've got to teach people history. You've got to teach people what really happened. Otherwise, you know, anybody can do this to any other people. And that's why I think it's so important to study history and learn about this and learn about those relationships because we're all subjected to
2: them. Ann. Oh, I was just going to say that I feel like, you know, that's when people talk about the Japanese-American incarceration experience, I always think, you know, as as sort of a precedence for what was happening with the Muslim ban or like, you know, 9-11, the sort of detain, the, the, you know, detaining people at, at, during those sort of crisis moments, I always think, well, really the precedence is kind of what was, you know, what happened to Native Americans here. And, and you can see that in the way that the government kind of masterminded the incarceration of Japanese Americans, because it was folks from the Bureau of Indian Affairs who were the administrators of the camps at many times so um, and then you know those who worked in the camps then went on to work for the Bureau of Indian Affairs so I mean I feel like history does really teach us these connections these you know how we do have these shared histories and experiences and I think that I mean, hopefully one of the messages, I think one of the messages of the films, and hopefully people can take learn from it, that we, we have to recognize how we are connected and, have re- in our, and are in relationship so that we can together change things, right? It's not just one community that has to sort of fight uh, what seems to be an experience that, you know, involves one community. It doesn't. It involves all of us. And so, I think that's certainly one of the messages that you know I, I, we tried to, to convey in the film.
0: How to how to create allies? Yes, it, right.
2: allies, coalitions, yeah. right? Shared histories and recognizing those
0: those histories. So, in the film "Manzanar Diverted," when water becomes dust, water is the central character, if you will. Water is the source of life, and in the film you really show the relationality between water in Payunado or Owens Valley and how that relates and connects to uh, the city of Los Angeles. And oftentimes people are unaware that within what we call the city of Los Angeles or the L.A. County area, the traditional homelands of the Tongva, uh, Gabrielino, the Hachiman, Guineño folks, the Tataviam and the Chumash, um, is that... uh, pre-colonization, if you will, that the land was a bevy of life. There was all kinds of freshwater rivers and streams and and springs um, that were sacred to Indigenous peoples down here. And Kathy, I wanted to start with you and ask you about the role of water and and how that connects to back home the cultural practices of the Paiute Nation people and how that relates to the documentary well that's
1: what i think is probably the most amazing thing about manzanar diverted is the way that the water is used as a thread that holds the whole story together mm. which is very much the history of this place we call paiute and uh, you could see waters in the name of a lot of our places around here our word for water is pa or paya, and you recognize that in a lot of things so water is central of course to everything and water was used by the people indigenous to this valley to help um, not plant new crops or raise animals but to help everything that already naturally grew here so that it could provide food and medicines and and uh, basket-making materials, all kinds of things. So it's always realized how important that was. And if you look at, even if today you go look at archaeology, that's the one thing you say, well, there was water here at one time, and here's more proof that there was water here because people lived here. So that water was vital to um, the city of Los Angeles coming up here to... um, to acquire land, to build an aqueduct, to take the water. And you know, I'm sure most people know the story from there. Uh, hopefully, I know a lot of people in Los Angeles need to be reminded that their water comes from here. I realize it's only part of it, but they consider this their water. And sometimes without thinking of the rest of us and how are we supposed to survive without having access to that water or having that water replenish our earth, our places, our animals, our plants, so that we can also survive here. If we don't survive, L.A. doesn't survive. And I think that's the message that a lot of them from down south are not understanding. They think they can take and take and take, and that's not how the world lives. We survived for thousands and thousands of years in this place because we gave as much as we take. We take care of things so they keep giving so they can survive. And I don't see that now. And that's why we're having so, so many problems, why things are so far out of balance. And a whole uh, rethinking needs to take place, needs to happen so that, that we can take care of this place, so that we can continue. And I tell LADWP guys, there's plenty of water for everybody, but not if you just keep taking. So that water is such an important, vital part of our history. And we need to rethink the way that we are using it so um, hopefully this is a message that can get across hopefully this is something the film can help get across and get people to thinking and realize you know that how valuable water is you don't just turn on the faucet and it comes out all the time mm-hmm. so think about where your water comes from and how you can do to help protect it
0: and um, you want to add to that because i i'm reminded of um, one of the scenes in the film during um the, the time of Manzanar and how um, the fish relations in the water uh, provided food uh, for Japanese Americans that were incarcerated in Manzanar and how water to even today uh, still provides life and, and and nutrients and and food and and forms of culture for indigenous peoples, but certainly just uh, food in general for Americans. So maybe uh, your thoughts and comments um, about the role of water in the film.
1: Well, I was just going to add that, um, that um, you know, that it was because of water that we had all this food right. and the fish and everything. And that's, that's what I really like about the film is the fact that bringing out that point of water... And how the Japanese took advantage and even escaped from the camp to go fishing, and they used that water to make that place a beautiful place. If you look at the pictures when they built the camp, it is so barren and just um, with with uh, cookie cutter dwellings, and it was a mess. You know, it wasn't anything beautiful about it. But the Japanese took this place and turn it into a beautiful garden and it just shows what could happen if we just leave a little bit of water and and do it right Mm. take care of this place and i think that's a really strong message that the film
2: could show and i was just gonna say that um i think japanese americans you know coming from japan it's a place where there's a real abundance of water and i think you know, the Japanese-American community in this country, you know, became involved in the agricu- in agriculture and then also in gardens. My grandfather in Los Angeles was a gardener. So I think that there is a real appreciation for, you know, life and growing plants and, and how it provides for people and also with fishing. I mean, I love hearing these stories of how, you know, Japanese-American, you know, these a lot of Issei would escape and and, um, go fishing. Um, And it was really this kind of act of resistance and and with the support and the kind of sharing of knowledge from Native Americans who also were fishing in the area. I mean, I think it's just this great story of how people helped each other, right? And, um, you know, it's just kind of incredible to think of how they would go for weeks you know unnoticed by um sort of the 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 administrators of these camps and just go fishing so um i think recently in fact there was the body of a of a guy who was found who had disappeared and he had, he was out fishing so you know i think all of these things really speak to different communities certainly you know Native Americans have had this connection deep deep connection and I think Japanese Americans shared shared this connection in many ways so um... it it's something that we can all kind of appreciate and
0: And learn from. And that concludes part one of a two part interview on a brand new documentary film, Manzanar Diverted When Water Becomes Dust. It's a powerful new film that chronicles over 150 years of history and shows the intergenerational relationship between the Nuamu or Paiute Nation peoples and their citizens to defend their traditional homelands and its relationship to Japanese Americans who are incarcerated at Manzanar the World War II Japanese-American concentration camp located within the traditional territories of the Nuomo or Paiute Nation peoples and its relationship to water especially water from paya unado or owens valley california which is the beginning or starting point of the los angeles aqueduct located in the heart of the Paiute nation it is the los angeles aqueduct that channels the water to the city of los angeles so los Angelinos can have water for decades We were speaking with longtime Native American activist from the Paiute Nation, Kathy Bancroft, who was instrumental in the film, as well as the film's director and producer, Ann Kanako. We're going to take a short break right here on American Indian Airwaves. We're going to come back and in part two of the interview. Stay tuned to hear more information, not only about the interview, but a free public screening this coming November 4th at the Los Angeles State Historic Park within the heart of the traditional territories of the Tongva Gabrielino peoples. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves.
3: Yeah, you're my bird, singer. That bandana was in your back pocket. Now it's in my hand. I'm calling you out, honey, darling, let's dance. One earth, one people, one peace One chance is all we get One earth, one people, one peace One chance is all we get When I turn the TV on my children say, Dad, why are they so mean? I said, this will pass one day. We just need to pray for a world of peace. Because in these times of life, when the world is in pain, we need more respect, bring hope in harmony as you go through life. Remember this what I say, love everyone, love all the same. One earth, one people, one peace, one chance is all we get.
0: And that was music by Jessa Calderon and Tracy Lee Nelson here on American Indian Airwaves. If you appreciate the work that we do here on kpfk we ask that you continue supporting the station by visiting the kpfk.org website and becoming a kpfk monthly sustainer circle member by clicking on the pledge widget and making monthly dollar denominations of your choice or you can select one of many premium items or the one we're offering here on american indian airwaves it's a 100 dollars thank you gift the book brand new titled red nation rising from border town violence to native liberation it the book is a thorough investigation and explanation of the violent dynamics of border towns capitalism and settler colonial violence perpetuated against indigenous peoples and their respective first nations you can pick up the book by calling 818-985-kpfk or 818-985-5735 Marcus?
4: Yes, Larry. Larry, the, and listeners, the, the conversation Larry had with the struggle of Oak Flats is important in the kind of programming we do here in America, Indian Airways, and KPFK Station. We need to support the station. Without the station, these newscasts and information, cultural information, factual information, is not available to any commercial radio station because of the fact that many of the radio stations and TV stations have been taken over by right wing, or the commercial stations won't take, even approach these questions of indigenous struggles. Now the book, Red Nations Rising, is a formidable study on the question of liberation, the question of border town, and what they mean by the border town is very interesting, and they say that the border town is, is everywhere, and, and the settler colonialism that Native people are confronted every moment, every every day of their our lives. Like all property, and I'm quoting Larry, the border town is many things at once. It is the thing and its a relations, a place, and a project. Further on, they say that the aim of the book is not to offer a cultural or even a geographical analysis of border towns. Rather, we seek an analytical precision for the category, a category we believe is crucial in the struggle for national liberation. So Red Nations mm-hmm. Rising, later Around, therefore makes a contribution to scholarly studies of colonialism. Ours is an Elaboration of a Collective Native Experience of Struggle Against Colonialism. Larry, it's a process in which they unravel the questions in which many authors have talked about history, but the hot spots of Indian country, the issues of Indian country, and then in turn they focus on the relationship or the or relations between colonialism, between imperialism and capitalism itself it unfolds this the conclusion is really vital the conclusion is interesting and the conclusion is is a continual dialogue on what is well about the native movement today in the united states and it's the so-called the international borders but the border i think larry is very important because it talks about this notion of this relationship with colonialism, is this not a geographical area? I've got in the cities, in the rurals, in the reservations, and the areas that people are at, it's a very telling read, and a one that we offer here on the American Indian Airways. Sorry,
0: uh, Marcus, you're so right. When it comes to um, you know commercial media and in indigenous peoples, and we talk about liberation, you know, we need to liberate. The, the media escape, if you will, from the neocons or the conservatives and the bureaucracy, the handful of corporations that own, you know, these legacy media companies and, and even the second-tiered media companies that uh, fail to cover Indigenous issues and fail to have Indigenous voices uh, within their corporate owned media structure. And that's one of the benefits uh, here on KPFK is that we do have Indigenous voices and Indigenous programmers like us here on American Indian airwaves, and and other Indigenous programmers that provide that vital community service of opening up the airways and liberating those spaces for indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations and cover the hard-hitting grassroots issues like Oak Flats. Uh, you know, having indigenous voices is absolutely crucial to democratizing the media scape, if you will, but also to engaging in other forms of liberation and sovereignty is to liberate and create more sovereign media spaces. And though that is the kind of work that you and I do here in trying to uplift uh, marginalized Indigenous peoples, especially on the front lines and at the grassroots level, who virtually are deprived of any type of media coverage. And that's just one of many benefits that we provide for our listeners and for the station here on KPFK. And, you know, the book, Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation is a $100 thank you gift. It's a $100 premium item. You can pick it up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the KPFK website and go to the pledge item cart and choose uh, a thank you gift of your choice or you can become a KPFK Sustainer Circle member by making monthly donations in a dollar denomination of your choice and that's at kpfk.org we want to encourage you to keep supporting the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves and encourage you to keep supporting KPFK and the spectrum of diversified voices and opinions and information that we provide as a community service to all of you throughout the Southern California area and all of you out there globally that digitally stream us here on American Indian Airwaves and KPFK. Marcus?
4: Larry, we offer the book Red Nations Rising, not because it's some fun reading or not because it's entertaining, but it's needed, number one. The dialogue is needed. And we provide the programs like you're going to listen to, and this is not the only struggle, but this is now what's going on. If you were doing the community a favor, Our listeners, sponsor radio, we're doing you a favor, do us a favor. Pick up the phone. Go to your computer. Go to your source to contact In order to pick up the book, we're doing this as a gift to you, our listeners. We really appreciate you all to listen to the American Indian Airways and KPFK and other programs in KPFK. This book provides you with a sense of longing for the truth, number one. But secondly, it gives you more of an ammunition, you might say, and the struggle against capital or struggle for liberation, the struggle against colonial settler society and what that all means. And in and, and this book, it talked about the border town, violence and the violence. And we have to, number one, see what our minds and our soul is connected with and how we achieve this in order to achieve true liberation. And that's the important thing liberation and within the book
0: you're so right marcus the book is red nation rising from border town violence to native liberation it is authored by four authors, Nick Estes, Melanie Yazzie, Jennifer Denate Dale, and David Correa. It's a phenomenal brand new book. It's a $100 premium you can pick up by calling 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or you can visit the kpfk.org website and pick up the book there, or you can become a monthly KPFK Sustainer Circle member by clicking on the pledge widget and making monthly donations in a dollar denomination of your choice. And Marcus, we want to give listeners a taste of the work that we do here on American Indian Airwaves on behalf of the community, of, on behalf of Indigenous peoples in uplifting grassroots Native voices and providing alternative perspectives. And in the remaining part of the show, We want to play the second part of our two-part interview with Ann Kanako, who is the director and producer of this brand new documentary film, Manzanar, Diverted When Water Becomes Dust, and Kathy Bancroft, who is instrumental in the film's making and featured throughout the documentary. Kathy Bancroft is a longtime indigenous activist from the Nuomo or Paiute Nation's peoples. And the documentary, Chronicles. Over hundred and fifty years of history, and shows the intergenerational relationship between the Paiute and uh, the Shoshone Nation peoples, its relationship to Japanese Americans and Manzanar, the World War II Japanese concentration camp located within the traditional territories of the Nomo and Nue and Shoshone Nations peoples, and its relationship to water particularly Payu Onado or Owens Valley, California, and the relationship of water between the Paiute Nation peoples, Japanese Americans, but also the city of Los Angeles, where for decades, uh, the city of Los Angeles has been receiving water from Payo Unado in the heart of the Paiute Nations, or what is known as Owens Valley and uh, Owens Lake. And that Los Angeles aqueduct actually starts there. It's a beautiful documentary. We want to encourage listeners to Tune in to part two of this interview on this brand new documentary, Manzanar Diverted, When Water Becomes Dust, here on American Indian Airwaves. And our disconnection, our people's disconnection, with water and and other non-human relations, what we see in the film is, you know, what happens with you know Owens Lake and and how it's um, you know dried up right by I think by the mid 1940s, and 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 both of you can can speak to this is, you know, what what happens when you have a traditional body of water that has violently objectified and made a product for consumption for people that live in Los Angeles County. And then all of a sudden, uh, what used to be a lake, sacred active cultural site, is now a a large dustbin, if you will. And it kicks up all that uh, particle matter and whatever pollutants that have settled on top of the soil, all that is bound up in that particle matter. And then if it's windy, it gets kicked up and people breathe that and then we saw in the film you know that leads to health adversities right negative health effects and so maybe uh kathy i could start with you your thoughts on that and and how destroying water back home leads to a greater sense of imbalance if you will for native folks
1: definitely um yeah, so they they started diverting the water, which you know, in not too many years, completely dried up in a 111 square mile lake yeah. that nobody could imagine that would really happen, but it did, in which it affected the whole uh, the whole environment of the valley. It mm-hmm. was one of the main migratory routes for for uh, waterfowl. And, everything and they the everything started disappearing and then to make it worse in the 70s they built a second barrel to the aqueduct and then started groundwater pumping which really had the total effect so the water taking the water has had profound effects on on the way we live i, I remember going out to gather basket materials with my grandmother and not being able to find any or we eventually found a small amount but there was no water for it to grow and that's that's really sad. That's really, you know, it affects you deeply to realize how how somebody can affect the place. The but it's it it doesn't end there. It, it they they were court ordered. LADWP was court ordered to fix the dust problem on the Owens Lake, and in the way that they did it was completely disrespectful of taking care of culture of our, what was important to us. So they not only destroyed stuff by taking the water, now they're destroying it with heavy equipment Mm. and their means to settle the dust without consulting with the tribes, Mm. without asking for input or thinking of what's the best way? What's the best way to help us make this, heal this lake? Instead, it was all about money. It was all about how can we never have to leave more water here? And that's almost a big a hard, hard blow for us to take when they're destroying our history. They're destroying our foot, footprint on this ground. And um, that, that's really sad when they've not even taken that into consideration. So hopefully we can turn that around along with not just DWP, but a lot of other people in this valley that are doing things to destroy our environment.
0: Ian, do you want to add to that?
2: I was just going to mention, you asked earlier about um, Sue Kunitomi Embry, Mm -hmm. and um, she was an activist who was very instrumental in the establishment of Manzanar as a historic site. She was an incarcerate herself during World War II, but she also suffered from respiratory issues, which we imagine in part is from the dust, this toxic dust that came from acciara or the the Owens Lake. And so I think that that um you know that legacy of sort of health issues from this 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 dust bowl if you will that that was created from the the dewatering of the lake, you know, was was suffered by folks who were in the camps as well as as people who still suffer from these respiratory issues which of course were You know, I mean, with, you know, folks getting COVID in the Valley, it was even more devastating because so many people had, have had, um, you know, preconditions around respiratory issues. So um, these issues continue. And, um, you know, I think if any, if if people from Los Angeles, they travel up to Mammoth and they, they're, they're on the 395, you, you passed. This place, it's such a sort of dystopian landscape, this sort of whitish place and and you it's so large. You realize what a enormous lake this was. I mean, it was the third largest lake in California that Los Angeles managed to drain very quickly and, you know, hadn't had virtually no water already by 1927. So um, you know, this legacy is there on view when you're on your way to Mammoth and, you know, perhaps stop by at Manzanar on the way. So um just wanted to remember Sue for all of her efforts in, in terms of, you know, both est- establishing, helping to establish Manzanar, but also remembering these different legacies of, of, of what's, you know, happened.
0: Kathy, um Any final thoughts, and what would you like uh, our listeners uh, to take away in in watching uh, this brand-new documentary, Manzanar Diverted, When Water Becomes Dust? Seems
1: like I've mentioned several takeaways, but I think that probably the biggest takeaway is to remember how important it is to learn about the place that you're talking about, whether it's the place where you live the place that you visit the place that you use for other purposes mm-hmm. that that learn the real history not what you've been taught learn if you you have to know the history of that land in order to know how best to use it how best to care for it and um um and you do that by talking to indigenous people you don't do it by reading books you know if you if you go through any of these reservations, if you know any tribal people, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't become a pest. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that's what most people don't do is go to the source and talk to people. Mm. I deal with archeologists all the time who go around and study people and it's like, did you talk to anybody? Mm. So I guess that's all I'm saying is that it's mm. important to learn your history, get the truth, talk to the people who know that history the best because they've lived that history. And um, and that's what I really appreciate, and yeah. including all the histories of this land
2: and taking the time to do it right. Mm. So thank you.
0: And yeah. Well, thank
2: you, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> this film would not be without you. So anyway, uh-huh. um, thank you. I was just going to say, I'm going to do my little plug. You know, we yeah. are we are launching this film in a series of, of community screenings on November 4th at the L.A. State Historic Park and it's in collaboration with the Our Water L.A. Coalition. So I think that there actually are a lot of groups in Los Angeles and the Southern California area who are trying to think about and appreciate our land and water and so um, this is our first big screening. It's an outdoor screening. It's really exciting since we can have an in-person screening outside. And I think it's really, really meaningful for me and for, you know, for the film to be able to screen it in Los Angeles, right? Sure. And uh, the groups that we've been collaborating with, um, Tree People, La Propesa, Boyle Heights, you know, Nature for All, all of these groups, Um, that are part of the Our Water LA Coalition really want to impress on LA residents that we are in the midst of a giant drought and all of our water is, is imported and we really need to think about how we can, you know, become less dependent on imported water and rely on our rich water resources that are here. And probably a lot of that, or not probably, a lot of that requires the change in the infrastructure that, that Mm -hmm. around water. So, you know, please come on out and see the film on November 4th. We'll have, um, Lisa Flores is going to sing a a quick song and we have, we'll have a panel that day. Monica Embry, who is the daughter or granddaughter of Sue Konitomi Embry, will be there. She's, Mm -hmm. she works with the Sierra Club. And um, we'll also have Tina Calderon, who is a local Tonga cultural bearer, um, and some other folks will be on the panel. So please come out. We'll, and, and after that, on um, November 13th, we'll be having a screening at Self-Help Graphics. So yes, and then also on Saturday, November 20th, there'll be a screening at Pasa del Valle in Panorama City. Hmm. And all of this information um, is on our website at com. So please join us. We'll be looking forward to other outdoor screenings in 2022 as well in the Southern California area. So
0: thanks. Yeah. is there a, a, Are these free screenings open to the public? or
2: Yes, they're all free. Mm-hmm. I think we are um, asking people to... Um, to register on through Eventbrite just so that we can keep keep them informed about about other screenings but um, yes it's all free we have you know underwriters who've helped us with this so anyway we want to make sure that people learn and can appreciate where their water comes from.
0: And that was Kathy Bancroft from the Paiute Nation, and Anne Kanako, who's director and producer of the brand new film Manzanar Diverted, When Water Becomes Dust. The film chronicles over 150 years of history, showing the relationship of the traditional peoples of the Nuemu Paiute Nation and Nue Shoshone Nation peoples in Payohunado or Owens Valley, California, its connection to Manzanar, the World War II Japanese-American concentration camp and how it relates to water throughout the generations and its connection to the city of Los Angeles. The film Manzanar Diverted When Water Becomes Dust is having a free public screening. You can visit the ManzanarDiverted.com website, click on screenings, and that will take you to the Eventbrite website, the next free public Outdoor screening is this November 4th at the Los Angeles Historic State Park within the traditional territories of the tongva Gabrielino peoples. The moment of silence is over. If you like the work we do here on American Indian Airwaves, please support us and KPFK at kpfk.org. You can support us several ways. You can pick up this brand new book as a thank you item. The book is titled Red Nation Rising from Border Town Violence to Native Liberation. Authored by Nick Estes, Melanie Yazi, Jennifer D'Nateel, and David Correa. It's a $100 thank you item. The book is the first of its kind to investigate and explain the violent dynamics of border towns which are white-dominated towns and cities that operate according to the same political and spatial logics as all other American towns and cities. They are the interface of capitalism. It's a powerful new book. It's a $100 thank you item. We ask you to call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. Or you can visit the kpfk.org website and click on the Pledge Part widget and pick up this premium item or another premium item of your choice or become a KPFK Monthly Sustainer Circle member. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guests for the entire hour, Kathy Bancroft from the Paiute Nation and Ann Kanako, director and producer of the film Manzanar Diverted When Water Becomes Dust A special thank you to our musical guests Aragon Star Koopa Aina, Jessa Calderon Tracy Lee Nelson and the band Blackfire American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host Larry Smith Until next time
3: our fears Try not to become what we've endured Wearing our
2: souls on the thread
3: The moment of silence is over